Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Welcome to the vineyard. Welcome to an opportunity to be touched by God. Welcome to an understanding that God has an appointment for you to be here. The Psalm 139 says he prepared for you and he saw to it that you are here. And what a wonderful thing that is. For the last couple of weeks, we've been uh, um, going through just a number of sermons that I've been wanting to preach. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about fasting. What does it mean for us to fast? And, and I challenge you to take some time to fast and read your Bible. Write down the things that you were hearing God say during that time. Because I still believe in a God who still wants to talk to us. He still wants to interact with us. And we, we initially begin that by opening up the Word of God and seeing what it has to say. And then last week we talked about an audacious prayer. And I hope that somewhere in here you all got a chance to, to pray an audacious prayer. I hope you went home and prayed an audacious prayer and then put it all over sticky notes and put it on your car, and your truck, your steering wheel, your CRT, whatever it is, your, your, your computer screen, whatever it is that you're doing. I pray that you received an answer from God on that or that you are still praying and praying and praying. Because I believe that when Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you, that that's exactly what it meant. I believe that he meant for us to pray the way he said we should pray. You knock on heaven's door, you knock on heaven's door, and you knock on heaven's door, and you don't stop until God wakes up, gets up, brings you the bread you want, and gives it to you. He said, not because he loves you, and this is Jesus' words, not because he loves you, but because he doesn't want you knocking on his door anymore. He wants you to, you know, move on. And I think that there's something there. When Jesus taught us that about prayer, and he said, you knock and knock and knock and knock and knock until God answers that prayer, that we have got to get a prayer life like that, that we have got to get to the place where we say, God, we need you to do something for us, and it might be audacious of us to ask, but we're asking because we've been given the right to come boldly before the throne of grace in our time of need. Where other people aren't allowed to come in he calls us children, and we call him Father, and he says, come on in. Well, today I want to talk about your miraculous faith. I want to talk about faith that sees things happening in your life. I want to talk about challenging you. We talked about fasting. We talked about prayer. And now let's talk about faith. Because at some point, Jesus said this kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. And we've talked about prayer and fasting. Now we want to talk about authority and moving forward in faith. And I want to encourage you in that. Faith, the scripture says, now faith is being confident of what we hope for and assured of what it is that we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And so we recognize that our faith is something that is laid out there and we believe in it and we're building our life in it and we're moving forward in it and we're not going to let up, we're not going to shut up and we're not going to sit down. We are looking at miraculous faith that builds on these last two messages. And I want to encourage you, even that should be somewhat audacious. I'm going to go to Acts chapter 3. I'm going to begin at verse 1, and I'm going to read through um, verse 16. If you've got one of these things right here, it's called the Bible, you can open it up. If not, it's going to show up up there on the screen, or you can whip out your phone and go to Version or, or Bible Hub and find it there. Um, I just want to encourage you to read along. As I'm reading this story, I would like to encourage you to do this. Find yourself in the story. Are you the people that want the crippled man to sit down and shut up? Are you the crippled man that's been crippled all his life that was not anticipating a miracle? 
Or are you Peter and John that understood their relationship to heaven and the authority that they have as followers of Jesus Christ to act in faith and move forward? Somewhere, Jesus tells us, excuse me, the scripture tells us this story as, as Luke is sharing with Theophilus. This, this story is here for you and I for the building of our faith. And so we're going to start in, in Acts chapter 3 beginning at verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going to the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. Instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your, our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is through Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given him, uh, complete healing to him. And now all of you can see this. And that's the story that I want to look at. We're talking about miraculous faith. What kind of faith do you have? Do you have a miraculous faith? Do you have a faith that can believe that God wants to touch your life and do something specific in your life? Something specific, that little prayer. That prayer that's on that post-it note that you stuck on the mirror that uh, you were praying all week long, I hope you kept on praying. Do you have the belief, do you have the faith to believe that God himself wants to answer that prayer? That he will. That when Jesus said, ask and you will receive, that he actually meant it. That when Jesus said that whatever you ask in my name, of the Father, I will give it to you. And I'm not saying, like, we should go through our yard and go, uh, dandelion be gone, dandelion be gone, dandelion be gone. I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about that we should be frivolous about our prayer. But when our heart is set on something, set so much that we bring it before God and we say, God, you have got to be here, then, then our challenge last week was to pray until it happens. And here I'm saying, do you have the faith to see it happen? Do you have a miraculous, audacious faith that you act in, or do you just believe? Let me just tell you something. The Scripture says that even the demons believe, but they're not going to heaven. They tremble, and they believe, but they're not going to heaven. So what's the difference between their belief or faith and yours? 
Our faith is something that is supposed to move us to action. It is supposed to make us rise up and say something has to happen. We have to do something here. And that's pretty much what was going on here. I don't know about you, but uh, I had to do a little bit of research just to see it again. Um, we've got a story here, and at this story, Peter and John are going up to pray. They're going up to pray about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Do you pray at 3 o'clock in the afternoon? The early disciples pray at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They kept on doing these things, these spiritual things. They prayed at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They stopped what they were doing and literally went to the Temple Mount to pray. And they came to the Gate Beautiful, which is on the eastern side of the Temple Mount and of the Temple itself. And this is what it looks like. So if you can imagine this, that the, the, the opening right there was not uh, blocked in back in that day. But he, um, um, the, the cripple man was up there on, on the, um, the patio area in front of that gate behind those those shrubs right there as you, as you go up the stairs there either he was at the bottom of the stairs or he was at the top but the scripture says Peter and John were about to go into the temple courts and that's just the entrance to the courts right inside of that is the women's court okay and and on the right hand side is um, Solomon's colonnade all right you can look it up but that man was laying right in front of that very large opening that's what's going on Peter and John are going up at about three o'clock in the afternoon and that's the, the gate beautiful right there. It mentions it a couple of times in the scriptures here. This guy is begging, and his whole goal is just to get money. Every day, people have brought him in on a pallet and, and laid him down. You know, sticks maybe with a, with a cot stretched between them, and they set him down just inside of that, or just outside of that gate. And they say, just sit here and beg. He just wants food. He just wants something to eat. He just wants to stay alive. But he has no idea, uh, no concept, no pre preconceived notion that God's going to heal him. He's been crippled from birth. How long does it take us to give up on God? We ask God to do something, and if he doesn't do it in a day and a half, we're like, yeah, well, he's not going to do it now. Right? We do that. Listen, I got a text from my friend Ketis. Okay, I'm not going to try to say his last name. It's something like Shifawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawarawaraw
because I've only ever wanted to be a doctor, can I please go to UK medical school? He said, I'm a foreigner, so it's going to be a long shot for me to get in. And he's been talking to me about it all year, and he's making, making plans to go some island down there and go to school there, go to school over there. And, and he's like, yeah, I put in for UK, but it's probably not going to happen. And you know what? Thursday, he got a letter from UK that said, you're in. You're going to go to UK. His plan was to go home for his brother's wedding and be home and be gone from here for a long time. And I was like, God, how come you keep taking away the college students? I hate living in a college town. I love living in a college town, but I hate living in a college town. They graduate and leave and, you know, I, I like the ones we got. And then he said, I'm not going anywhere. And then he, he posted, I'll be back in September. He wasn't supposed to be back till next year. And he said, I'll be back in September. He has an audacious faith, and he prayed an audacious prayer, and he decided that he was going to press in for his miracle. And for him being a, a foreigner and a student and all like that, he said, there was no way that's where I was going to go to school. And he's making plans to go somewhere else. And, and, and God said, no, you're going to UK. That kind of faith that says, why not me, God? Why only Peter and John? Why can't I have that kind of faith? And I want to encourage you in that. This young man, did, or this man, did not show up at Gate Beautiful thinking that he was going to get healing. That was not his reality. And I love this. Once again, here's somebody that Jesus interacts with uh, through the Holy Spirit, and they get healed. Now they got to get a job. You can't be a beggar sitting at the gate any longer. I mean, you just can't jump up and say, hey, I'm perfectly healthy. I'm the beggar. Can you give me money? Because that's the only thing I know how to do is beg. He didn't have any other job skills but begging. And I love that Jesus interacts with people and turns their lives around dramatically. Now, Peter and John could have been busy. They could have been so busy and said, we don't have time for this. You saw how big that gate was. The Temple Mount is a busy, it's the center of Jewish life and culture in Jerusalem, especially back then. And so all of these people are coming and going constantly. There's crowds and things are happening. And they could have done one of those. You know how we do when we're leaving church, right? Like we're going to do today. We're going to get out there to the sign at the Red Lobster. And there's going to be a guy holding the sign. He's been there for, I don't know, 10 years. I'm not sure, but he's been there. I'm just being honest, okay? And we're going to do one of these like, hey, don't look at me. And he's going to be holding this sign like, look at my sign, look at my sign. And we're going to be like, oh, man. Okay, that's what this guy was doing. He was looking at everybody in the eye. And, you know, Peter and John could have been like, you know, yeah, yeah, we got to get the prayer. We got to get the prayer. We got to get the prayer. You know, they could have done that. This could have been the story of the Good Samaritan. This could have been what Jesus played out in a story for us in the book of Luke. They could have passed by on the other side, but they didn't. They didn't. They also didn't have what he needed. You ever been there when you didn't have what was probably needed? Yeah. They didn't have what he needed either but they still acted. It's clear that Peter and John were faithful Christian people. Man, they kept their prayer time. For them, they prayed three times a day. Sun up, three o'clock, sundown. That was normal for them. For them, they probably kept their fasting times as well, which is twice a week. Two you thought last week was tough when I asked you to the fast one day? How about two days a week? How about every uh, Wednesday and every Friday? 
We're going to fast. Sun up to sundown. Just sun up to sundown, you know. Eat your uh, frosted flakes, you know, as fast as you can before 7.15 in the morning. Get it all down. So you got, boom, sun came up. There it is, you know. And then you'll be like standing out on the deck getting ready to flip that hamburger. And the sun's down. We can eat. You know, I know how you are. It's like, oh, Pastor Joe, we fasted. It was hard. Okay, no, I don't want you to fast. I want you to focus on Jesus. I want you to focus on Jesus. These guys fasted twice a week, and they were big on giving. They kept their prayer time. They fasted. They gave. Matthew 23, 23. Tithes and generous giving. Okay? Jesus' core teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, what does he talk about? And when you pray, not if you pray, Jesus expects that you and I still have times of prayer. Regular, regular, regular times of prayer, just like he did with his dad. And Jesus said, and when you fast, not if you fast, Jesus still expects us to fast. It makes us a little more aware spiritually. And Jesus said, and when you give, don't be like the Pharisees. He expects us to give too? Man, that's... Come on, Lord, you're asking a lot. No, he isn't. No, he isn't. And he ends that three-chapter teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, that whole three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he, he ends it by saying, if you will just find yourself obedient to my teachings when the storm comes, not if the storm comes, the storm's coming. When the storm comes, you will withstand it. But if you don't, when the storm comes, you will sink and be destroyed like sandy, you know, castles that you build on the beach. It'll just melt away. And so that's the promise. Now listen to me. That's a promise from Matthew 7. It's a promise. I mean, hang on to it. It's a promise. Pull it down from heaven. It's a promise. Pray it and hold it back up to God. It's a promise. You will get me through this, Lord. And so we know from the disciples' passion that they were called to those things, and so we're called to these things. They go to uh, synagogue, we go to church. There's a guy with his hand out. He wants this. There's a crowd. Let me ask you this. When you see somebody in need, why do you stop? Do you stop? I mean, I know you can't stop every single time, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to confess to you, I don't always stop. I don't always stop for the guy that's got the cardboard sign because in my head, I'm just going to tell you up front, I probably need to repent and ask God's forgiveness, but I'm, I'm just like anybody else. I look and I see that sign and I'm like, oh man, I saw that thing on NBC. You're only making about $400 a day standing there holding that sign. You know, I, I know this is what's going on and you've only been standing there for the last, honestly, for the last 10 years that we've been at church, that guy's been there and it's like, oh man, what's going on? And, and, and I go through all of that. And, and it's part of my soul wants to just pass by on the other side. But when we do stop, why do we stop? Why? Why? What, is, what does it take for us to stop and do something about that? Because I think that is the actual question here. And, and, and I think that we need to wrestle with it. What could, would have caused you in Peter and John's situation to stop? They could have been in the middle of the, the, the river of the crowd, looked over, looked over, looked over. They, they could have done that. Hey, Peter, what do you think? No, don't look. Don't look, Peter. Don't look. Don't look. He's looking at you, Peter. John would be like, like, Peter, come on, man. Let's do this. And Peter would be like, John, stop it. Stop it. Don't look. They could have done that. They could have. But I liked how they just reacted. They did not think it through. They just reacted. Sometimes you know you just have to do something. You have to. 
My wife and I were out to dinner a couple of weeks ago, and, and we were just getting ready to sit down, and all of a sudden, the guy next to us yelled and screamed. And I ran over. I didn't think. I just ran over there real fast and, and started to pray for him. And I said, what happened? He said, my pacemaker just went and shocked him. He said, it's never happened before. Just shocked his heart. I said, are you okay? He said, no, I don't think so. I started praying. I said, you need to go to the hospital. He said, I think so. I looked at his wife. I said, you want us to call an ambulance? She said, I don't know. <clears throat> I should have asked, is the insurance paid up? Just asking for a friend, you know. The long and short of it is he got to the hospital. It's never happened. I didn't know what to do. I didn't, I'm not a doctor. I couldn't fix him. But for whatever reason, I just reached over and grabbed him and wanted to pray for him. That's the thing I can do. I don't know what God's going to do, but I'm going to do what I can. I was just painfully aware that the restaurant was full. It was a Friday night, and everybody was looking at me. See, there comes that time when you're like... Mm, what am I going to look like? Or how is this going to feel? Or what are people going to think about me? Listen, we just got to put that down. We're followers of Jesus. Just put that down. Okay? They thought he was a nut job. They're going to think we're a nut job. Okay? It's okay. Because lives got changed because of him. This is why I think Peter and John stopped. I think they stopped out of compassion. I do. I could, I could go a hundred different ways with this message. You can decide who you are in the story. But I think Peter and John stopped out of compassion. Jesus made a habit of seeing people that other people didn't want to see. And we live in that kind of world, don't we? Yeah. Again, with the guy at the end of the road. The one over by Richmond Center. Somebody that's got a need, it's like, uh, and I don't know about you, but if I'm zooming down the highway and I look up there and I see somebody's off to the side of the road, I'm like, uh, am I stopping, Lord? Am I stopping? Am I stopping? And I'm just going to be honest with you. If, if you're a dude and you're stopped on the side of the road, good luck. You know, I'm just like, ah, he's a man. He can fix it. <laughs> but if it's a lady, then I'm like, ah, I got to turn around and go back. Got to turn around and go back. You know, she can't change the tire by herself. Maybe she can. Don't send me any emails. <laughs> Okay, maybe she can, um, just chauvinistic enough that maybe she shouldn't have to. But anyway, that being said, okay, um, I, I'll, I'll turn around and go back and see what I can do. 100% of the time, no, 99% of the time, you know, they're on the phone, they've got somebody coming, and they say, hey, it's okay, i got somebody coming. And, and I understand that. You want somebody you trust, somebody you don't have to be afraid of, and things like that, and that's good. Okay, we live in that kind of world today, and, and I'm just aware of that. But let's just be honest. What does it take to make you stop, and how does that work out? Do you stop out of compassion? The scripture says in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Do we see the, the people that nobody wants to see? Sometimes I'm asking, do you see the people that are mean to you? Do you see the people? Can you see behind them and realize that hurt people hurt people? Can you look at people and realize that they're being mean to you? They're being toxic. Um, they're being narcissistic. Whatever it is we want to label, and not really any of us in here are qualified to actually put those labels on people. But at the end of the day, just check this out. Um, do, can we look past that and, and have compassion on them? Can we look and see the hurt in those people's lives that have brought them to a place of hurting other people? Can our, can our heart cry out and say, Lord, they're just like sheep that are going around banging their heads into everybody because they don't know what to do. They've never had a good shepherd. 
Because I believe that that's what Peter and John did. I like that they didn't check with the guy, see if he was a nice guy. They didn't decide, hey, could they help him? Uh, let's see if he's qualified. Let's see if he's worth it. Jesus saw people that the world doesn't want to see. And often, if you want to get close to Jesus because your spiritual life is getting dry, the best place to find him is where those people are. Because when people get to the end of themselves and they're hurting real bad and they're broken inside, Jesus is often there. When we have everything we need and our bellies are full and, and our houses are big, we tend to forget God. And sometimes God lets us go through tough times on purpose so that we feel dry inside, so that we will cry out to God and remember who it is that saved us, created us, and loves us. Peter and John stopped out of compassion for people that the rest of the people going into the temple were passing by. They stopped out of compassion, but they looked out of kindness. They didn't look out of judgmentalism, if I can make up a word. Jesus had a habit of actually stopping. We talked about that last week with the blind men. He had a habit of stopping for people that others didn't have time for. If we run our lives to where we know it takes us 12 minutes to get to work, so somehow we leave 10 minutes before work, and we drive fast enough to get there ahead of it. You know how you are. Come on, you're not fooling me. I can see some of you pretty embarrassed right now going, wow, how did he know that? <laughs> if that's the way we live our lives, then where do we have time for the people that Jesus would see? If we leave a half an hour before we have to, we've got time, and when we get to work, we've got time to relax. Fifteen minutes then. 15 minutes before we're supposed to get there. Get to work 15 minutes early. You get to put your feet up, relax. You don't have to answer the phone. Just rest. Just rest before you enter your day. But if we don't create margin in our lives, we will continually blow past people that Jesus would have stopped for because we don't have the kindness for it anymore. The righteous will answer him. In Matthew 25, Jesus is telling you and I, that the time is coming when there's going to be the first judgment where the sheep are separated from the goats. That's what he's telling us in Matthew 25. You know, when Jesus spoke of hell, 100% of the time he spoke of it as a very real place. He did not speak of it as, well, things are going to be tough on earth. Well, things are going to be difficult on earth. Well, things are going to get nasty on earth. Hell is a very real place where there are not crowds of people hanging together. But it's a very real place of eternal punishment. It, a very real place. That's why Jesus cared enough to come down here and die for us. He doesn't want us there. It wasn't created for us. It was created for the devil and his unholy angels. At some point, um, the, the hell will be chained up and thrown into the lake of fire. So those are two different places even. Okay? That's what the scripture says. And Jesus speaks of that. And, and, and so when we get to the end of our days, he's going to stand us before him at the first judgment. And he's going to say, hey, sheep or goats. And look, look at this. And then Jesus went through, oh, excuse me, and then the righteous will answer to the Lord and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king, and that's Jesus, 
will say, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You know, sometimes when we pull up to the end of that road out there and we feel that, like, should I give him $5? Shouldn't I give him $5? Do I even have $5? Because everything's plastic anymore, but honestly. Sometimes God says yes, not because he needs $5, but because we need to learn to let go of $5. It's hard for us to do that. We've earned it. We've worked hard for it. But sometimes God is trying to do something in our lives and teaching it to you and I that we can be kind even if it's somebody that kicks us when we go to work. Even if it's somebody who's mean to us. Even if it's somebody who got the job that we wanted or, and they didn't deserve it. Even if it's somebody that said ugly things about us. We can choose. And listen, it's a hard thing. I'm not, I'm not up here saying, telling you I got it all figured out. It's a hard thing. Love your enemy is, the, I believe, the single hardest teaching of Jesus Christ that he spoke. But it's going to come when we look at people out of kindness. It doesn't always happen in our lives, but God wants us to move at the tug of our heart, and he doesn't want us running 100 miles an hour. He wants us running with time for margin. But I believe this more than anything else. They stopped out of compassion. They looked out of kindness, but they acted out of faith. They didn't even hesitate. You know? They immediately took a step. Jesus made a habit of acting supernaturally. You say, well, yeah, Pastor Joe, well, he's Jesus. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus, in order to die for your sins, had to live completely in his humanity and let go of his deity. He left his throne in heaven. He left it. He left his throne in heaven, his rightful place. Over and over and over again, he said, do you not know that I can call down a legion of angels right now? But what he was saying is, but I have to live in my humanity because a human being without any sin has to die for the sins of human being that can't get through a day without sinning. If God would have died for us as God, then, then where's the fulfillment of punishment? It's not there. And so Jesus showed us how to live in relationship to God and then challenged us to have that kind of faith. You say, what are you talking about? Well, he did. He did. Peter and John believed God and just flat out did something. They believed God was doing something. They believed God wanted them to touch this man's life. And here's the other thing. They didn't believe it was okay to do nothing. Sometimes you have to do something. And we've got to stop pretending it's somebody else. You know, have you ever felt that? And it's like inside of your heart, you're like, man, somebody needs to do something here. But okay. I'm with Henry Blackaby in his experience in God book. When, when, when you see something and you can pass by, when you see something, you're like, man, somebody's got to get in here and make a difference. That is God telling you to do it. And he expects action. And that's what he got from Peter and John. They had to do something. They believed that they could not do nothing. I know it's a double negative, but let's just go with it. They could not simply do nothing. It was not healthy. You and I are not here just to do the things that you and I can do. But check this out, what the Scripture says in John 14. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Not whichever one of my disciples 2,000 years ago follows me around until the last disciple dies off. That is not what that says. 
That says that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you will do the things that Jesus Christ did. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And what he's saying in John 14 is, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to take up residence inside of you. And if you will but put your full faith and trust in me and believe in what I'm doing through you, supernatural and miraculous things will happen. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified. And this is where I believe it is entirely appropriate in our prayer life to say, Lord, you said you would do whatever I ask. The question is, are you living in that all you're asking is consumerism or are you living for the health of the people that you see? I'm not saying don't ask. A man, walk into the throne room of grace and say, Dad, can I have some Legos? Go ahead. Do it. As long as no's an okay answer, keep going. But sooner or later, don't we have to stop and say that our, our Christianity is just not so that we can have more? It's not just so that we can have a bigger house and a bigger job and a bigger income and a bigger and a bigger and a bigger and a bigger. Sooner or later, we have to stop and say, am I, if I, am I increasing the kingdom of God with the things and the responsibilities and the authority that God has placed in my life? If, if he can't find me faithful with the little bit that he's given me, why would he give me more? See? And I'm not saying that you can't ask him for fun. I, you know me. I'm having too much fun, but I'm drinking from a glass that's half full. And that's where I'm going to be. Not only that, I'm, look, I'm drinking from a glass that can be filled back up. So you want the half, you can have it. Because my God can fill it back up. And I'm good with that. I'm not health, wealth, and prosperity. I'm deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. But Jesus said, ask and act and have the faith. This is a heritage that we've received from Jesus. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. When was the last time you had to glorify God for what he did in your life? This, this guy, this guy that they healed, grabbing a hold of Peter and John and jumping up and down going into church, we might stop you at the door here if you did that. If you came hopping and skipping in here, we'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Rain it in just a little bit. we got to talk. You okay? Everything all right? Let me see your, your pupils dilated. Y'all, you're good. You're good. And you'll be like, you don't know what Jesus did. That's what God wants from us. That's what he wants. I have to tell you, that's what he wants. King David said, I will proclaim your name and what you've done in my life in the great assembly. I'm going to go to church and tell everybody. That's what God wants. If we're not going to do at least that much, sometimes I wonder why would he answer my prayers? We walk with people, but we put our trust in God. We don't dare say, well, yeah, but that pastor over there did this in my life, and that pastor over there did this. These church people did this. These church people did that. We put our trust in God. We walk with people, but we put our trust in God. When somebody says, well, I was doing great until that pastor fell off the wagon, and listen, I'm, I'm, I'm brokenhearted for pastors failing morally. I really am. But I'm not putting my trust in any pastor. I'm putting my trust in Jesus Christ. And I will help rebuild a church that's struggling and hurting. And I will help rebuild a pastor that is struggling and hurting and that fell, that's willing to own it. I will be there. Paul told Timothy, here's a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful because he cannot disown himself. God is faithful. Take him at his word. Pray without ceasing. Fast when we need to. 
But it's time for you and I to get God to understand that God is opening our eyes back up to the supernatural. We are not here just to do the things that you and I can do. You ever thought about that? Jesus said, I only see, do what I see my Father in heaven doing. That's the only thing I'm going to do. That's where we need to be. So what do you see God doing in and around you? What do you see God asking you to do? Peter and John going in. The guy says, give me gold. They didn't have time to call the church and say, Pastor Joe, uh, what's the theology on this? Um, they didn't call their mama and say, Mom, hey, you know, we didn't learn this when we were back at the house. We didn't do that. They didn't do that. They just acted. They just did the thing, and they prayed. You and I are called to a supernatural mission. Jesus died for our sins. We're called to a supernatural mission. That carries supernatural expectations. It comes with supernatural power, meaning the Holy Spirit will give us that uh, unction, will give us that wisdom, will give us that knowledge, will give us that healing power when he's ready for it. But it yields supernatural results. People's lives will be changed. People that are going to hell will be saved. And as a result of that, other people will be introduced to Jesus. You and I have been called to step out in a miraculous, audacious, supernatural faith. When was the last time you exercised your faith in a supernatural way? Because I believe God is waiting on you and I. The harvest is plentiful. But the workers, they're at home playing Xbox. They're watching Netflix. There was a new thing came out and they had to see it. They had to binge it. Had to binge it. They're out shopping. They're on vacation. They're not. Listen, wherever we go, we should be sharing the truth. Wherever we go, there is somebody that God wants you to touch. Wherever we go, there is somebody to pray for. Wherever you go, there is a place to act on your faith and not just talk about it. And I want to encourage you to do that. We have begun or we have to begin to, excuse me, step out in supernatural faith, and that appears to be what Peter and John did. Doesn't appear they cared what anybody thought about it. Doesn't appear they had to worry about what the theology on it was. We just saw that they did all the things that Jesus did, and as a result of that, somebody's life was changed. And that's what we're about here at the Vineyard. Life change. Getting outside this building. Are you Peter or John and God is waiting for you to exercise your faith? Are you the crippled man and you're struggling with a health issue, financial issue, relational issue? You feel like you've been cast on the outside. You're over there pushed and nobody cares. People are walking past you, going to church, going into synagogue but you're marginalized and you wonder why nobody looks at you or gives you some coins or interacts with you. You're hurt inside and you wonder if God even knows. This is the morning that God has sent for you to be prayed over so that somebody's faith, that these are the Peters and Johns of this church, the prayer team that want to pray down the kingdom of God, not in the name of Vineyard, not in the name of Joe Wood, not in their own names, but in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. We have the right to forgive sins on this planet. Whatever you forgive on earth will be forgiven in heaven. We have the right to proclaim the love of God for the forgiveness of sins, which is the way Jesus expressed it one time. It's the way um, Luke expressed it to Theophilus. We saw that the power of the Spirit was there to forgive sins. And as a result, people got healed. We believe. 
Something inside of your heart is dying. Something inside of your physical body is dying. Something inside of your everyday life is dying or is struggling. Can we pray for you? That's what this is about. God says this is your moment today. You might need to surrender your life to Jesus. This might be that day for you. You're finally at the place of saying, okay, I've been going to church all my life. It's time for me to surrender and stop pretending. That can be today for you. It can. These people are up here to pray. I'm going to close in prayer. We're going to have our uh, closing song. And it, during that song, you are welcome to walk up here. And you don't even have to explain it. Just let them pray for you. And let's begin to believe audaciously that God wants to do something in your life for you personally, not just for the church in general. Let's pray. God, who is God in heaven, we want to thank you and praise you for the day that you've given to us. We bless you, Lord for your presence here, for your Holy Spirit that resides inside of us. From the moment uh, Paul told the church in Ephesus that we believed, from that second that we believed, we were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, that that's when that seal was put on us. We belong to God. We are children of the Most High God, and therefore we have the right to come boldly into your throne, and we do, God. In the name of Jesus, God, I ask your forgiveness for our sins, for my sins, for the sins of this congregation. Forgive us in this moment. In this moment, God, I pray healing, I pray blessing, I pray, pray encouragement upon these people. And I pray for courage to come up and say, I'm not leaving without mine from God. As we come before you, O oh Lord God, we want to walk. We want to leap. We want to praise you. So we just release this in this room in Jesus' holy name.